want to extend a very warm welcome to everybody uh, this morning on behalf of Stornoway Free Church and we pray that as we come under God's word today that he will indeed bless it to us. Before we begin I have an intimation that we have to read as a congregation and it's this. The Kirk Session has called a congregational meeting to take place by Zoom on Monday 29th March at half past seven. The purpose of the meeting is to examine and approve a presentation schedule relating to the renewal of the post of assistant minister in the congregation. This is required whenever an assistant retires or accepts a call to another congregation. The schedule will accompany a petition to the General Assembly requesting the renewal of the post. It is important that there be sufficient attendance at the meeting to make approval of the schedule realistic. So your cooperation in this will be much appreciated. If you already join the Wednesday evening Zoom meetings, Zoom login details will be emailed to you. Otherwise, please contact uh, Marianne for this. Let us now worship God. I'm going to begin by singing from Psalm 17. This is from Sing Psalms. And I could, we only have a limited number of pre-recorded uh, singings, so sometimes find that we've, uh, we sometimes have to use the same singings uh, over and over. So, but anyway, then we begin with Psalm 17, and we sing verses 1 to 4, sing Psalms. Lord, hear my righteous plea, and listen to my cry. It does not rise deceitfully or come from lips that lie. Declare me innocent and vindicate my name. Lord, may your eyes see what is right and free me from all blame. Though you examine me and probe my heart and mind, though you test me in the night, yet in nothing you will find. I said I will not sin in anything I say. From those who practice violence, I have kept far away. These verses of Psalm 17 from Sing Psalms. Lord, hear my righteous plea, and listen to my cry. It does not rise deceitfully, or come from lips that lie. thanks again for another time of worship. We give thanks, O Lord, that we're able to call upon your name and that we can come to you irrespective of how we feel. Some days we can feel on top of the world. We feel strong in body and in mind. We feel vibrant in spirit. And other days we find that life is a burden. We might have pain and we might feel troubled. We might feel weak. We might feel that 
all natural energy is gone. We may feel that uh, life has become uh, such that it's, that, it's, that it's hard going. So we come to you today with all the different ways that we can be. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would hear us. And we give thanks, Lord, that how we are in ourselves has no bearing upon, uh, upon you at one level. Yes, sin is a barrier between us and you. But we give thanks, O oh Lord, that you are, your ear is open to the cry of all those who diligently and truly and honestly seek you. And if we come with a true heart, if we come, Lord, just calling upon you and asking you to help, that you have promised to hear and to help. And we give thanks, Lord, that you are able to help in a way that nobody else can. You can get right into us. You can deal with us in the inner passion, where the places that nobody else sees, the places that nobody else knows, the places sometimes that we don't even know ourselves. But you are able to equip us and to deal with us and to lift us up and to, to do us good. And we pray that you will help us, that you will be with us all the time. And we pray that as we come under your word, that that word may be a source of light and understanding to us that it may gladden our heart that it may strengthen us because your word is it's a food just as we have the food for our natural body so we have the food for our soul and we pray that today your word will be a source of nourishment and strength to our soul and that we will be able to go on in strength of God the Lord that's what the psalmist said I will constantly go on in strength of God the Lord and we pray that that might be our cry, that that might be where we find ourselves, looking to you and leaning upon you. Help us, Lord, not to lean on our own understanding. We're so prone to do so. We're so prone, Lord, to, to be masters or try to be masters of our own destiny. And you're always calling us up short. And you're always showing us that we do not know the way. Man of, of himself does not know the way to go. It is the Lord alone who can direct the steps. And so we pray that you will help us each and every day to look to you. We pray to bless our young people. We give thanks for our Sunday school and for the wonderful work that has been done online. And we pray that you will bless our Sunday school teachers and bless parents and all that has been done throughout this whole lockdown for now about a year. And we give thanks, O oh Lord, for the provision that you have made. Although at one level we are in a famine where we're not able to attend your house, yet you have made provision in that famine and you have blessed us. And help us to acknowledge that, that we might not complain before you, but that we might realise that you have given to us what many people don't have. And so we ask, Lord, that we will be delivered from the complaining spirit and that we might have indeed the, the spirit of thankfulness and the spirit of joy. And so we pray for our young people as they grow up very difficult times. We pray, Lord, as they will once again over the time readjust uh, in school and the, just in life in general, that you'll be with them because it's been hard for them. Young people, it is so much part of life of just integrating together, of being together, of growing up together. And this has been a difficult time for them. It's been difficult for parents as well. And so we, we pray that you will bless uh, parents at this time. We ask, Lord, that you will watch over the elderly and remember those confined to, to homes who haven't been able to interact with loved ones. It's been very hard for families and there's been so much pain and sorrow, heartache, over this last year. And so we pray that that little by little that the, these doors will open and that the virus will be brought under control and we're already beginning to see the very encouraging signs and we pray that it might continue to be so. And although we may have to live with this virus, we pray that uh, it will be manageable uh, so that uh, year by year, if, if it calls for a vaccine, and so be it. But we pray, Lord, that you will help us and that you will take us through this and that you will take us through us through it in a way where we will thank you 
and that we will honour you, and that we will glorify your great and holy name. Pray to bless those who mourn, whose hearts are heavy and sore. And we know there are so many people, their hearts are heavy and broken. But we give thanks to your great promises for the broken heart, and those that are broken in their hearts and grieved in their minds, their painful wounds he tenderly abides. And we pray that that might be true today, that as a great physician, that the great heavenly surgeon, the great heavenly doctor, that you will administer the oil and the balm of your healing and of your comfort, and that you will raise up the cast down. And we ask, Lord, that you will be with those who are struggling with mental issues, with those, Lord, who, are, who really are in a dark place. We ask, Lord, that you will bring light into their situation, that they will be able to see you and to see more clearly <coughs> that, uh, uh, that the darkness and the doubts and the fears and the anxieties and the depressions may indeed lift like a morning mist. We ask that that may be true in their experience. Pray for those who are unwell, those, Lord, who are struggling with pain, with illness. With There's so many various illnesses about. We ask, Lord, for every person who has been, who has laid aside. And uh, we know that the life has become so restrictive, even in hospitals. And we pray, Lord, that there are many who maybe have maybe been missing out on treatments and they're longing to get back onto that. We pray that you will open doors and that people will be able to get medically what is required. We ask that you will be with us at the time that we wait upon you and that we will seek to honour you in our worship. It's so easy to be distracted when we worship at home because we're, there are so many other things that can take away from our focus. So we pray, Lord, for that focus so that all the time that we might be fixed upon you. Help us then, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us and take away from us our every sin, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> right, just a wee word uh, to the young folk. Have you ever put something down somewhere and you just can't find it? And you say to yourself, I, I don't understand this. I just put it down and, and it's not there. And you say, this, this is ridiculous. Well, if as a young person, you have found that that is happening to you, do you want the bad news? The bad news is that sort of thing gets worse and worse and worse. The older you get, see, the older you get, the more things you have. And the more things you have, the more things you lose and the more things you forget where you put them. The older you get, your memory gets worse. So I'm sorry to be bringing bad news like that. But I'm sure, even though you're young and fit and clear minds, that sometimes you say, you know, I just put that tele remote down. Where is it? I need to change the channel. And you're looking left, you're looking right, and very often, of course, it slides down the back of the, 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 back of the, the cushion or the chair or whatever. But often, there might be other things. You might say, I need my book, my school book. I'm just going to do this. I've got a lesson I'm going to do. It was here a minute ago. Where has it gone? We do that sort of thing all the time. Wait till you start driving. Wait till you have car keys. You know, I think car keys have the ability to hide themselves. And even if you have a spare set, they're able to hide themselves. You put the car keys down there, and they're not there. You put them in your pocket, and they're not there. They, there's something in car keys that I don't know what it is. But often in life, when we lose something, we end up having to retrace our steps. We need to go back to where we were. That happened to me the other day. Uh, I uh, was looking for my, my mobile because a, a text had come through I was busy at the time when I got it, and I saw I have to phone about this. And I said, I need to read, read that message again in order to phone. And uh, the thing was, I could not find my mobile anywhere. And I searched everywhere. I went through all my pockets. I looked at all the surfaces. I went through all the drawers in the study. I looked in the living room, in the kitchen. In the end, I was beat. And I thought, right, where was I? Where was I? And then I was being to think, I can't remember where I was. 
Then I began to think, right, where was I? And then I remembered. But half an hour before, I had been at the dump. A lot of, lot of rubbish to get rid of, so I went to the recycling place. That's where I was. So I thought, I wonder. And I was saying, I hope I didn't drop it at the dump. But anyway, I went to the car, and sure enough, it was lying in the car. So I got my phone, and anyway, everything was fine. But what I had to do was to retrace my steps. I had to think, right, where was I, what was I doing, and go back to there. And we often have to do that in life. There's a story in the Bible that tells us that very thing. It was when Mary and Joseph and Jesus went up to Jerusalem to the Passover, and Jesus was just a boy. He was 12. And crowds of people went up. All the families, so everybody went up. Grannies and grandpas and mums and dads and sons and daughters and cousins and uncles and aunties. Everybody went up for the Passover. And it was a long journey back and they walked back. And when Mary and Joseph were on the way, they thought of a sudden they found they couldn't find Jesus. And then they were, they were sure that Jesus would have been with some of the relatives. And they searched amongst all the relatives and there was no sign because they thought whether well, they weren't seeing that he would be with somebody else. But he wasn't with anybody else. And so Mary and Joseph had to retrace their steps. They had to go back to where they were. They had been in the temple in Jerusalem and they said, we'll have to go back here and start our search from here again. So they made all the way back. And when they reached the temple, they found Jesus. And he was sitting with the, the, the leaders, the, the, the chief, with the priests and with the, the, the clever people who used to work on the Bible, the Pharisees and the, 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 the study, people who studied the law, and the doctors of the law. And he was talking with them and debating with them. And they couldn't get over how clever he was as a young boy of 12. But Mary and Joseph weren't happy. And they said to him, what have you done to us? And of course, Jesus said, do you not realize I have to be about my father's business? Of course, his father was his father in heaven. And he was doing the work of his father in heaven. And, he was... and so the thing was that they, Mary and Joseph had to get all the way back. And it was in God's house that they found Jesus when they made their way back. It's a lesson for you and for me there. Because sometimes, maybe this week, you kind of lost sight of Jesus. Maybe there's been, maybe you've had a very busy week and lots of things have come in the way, and you're kind of, you're, 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 you're kind of losing your way quite a bit, and you're saying to yourself, you know this, I've really lost sight of Jesus. What do you do? You go back to where you last saw Jesus. Where did you find him? You find Jesus in prayer. You find Jesus in the Word. You find Jesus, although we can't go to his house as such. But this is this is the equivalent of being in his house is coming round his word and worship as we're doing just now. We come back to where we would find him. We retrace our steps to there. And it's important, doesn't matter how old or young you are, get back with Jesus. Go back to where you were. Remember how there was a period where it was really good? Well, get back there. Because although if you come to trust Jesus, you will never lose him at one level. But sometimes we lose sight of him. You ask Jesus today to make himself clear to you. And that you today will have him very clearly in your heart and in your life. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. I'm going to read now God's word. I'm going to read from the book of Psalms, and this is now from Psalm 33. Psalm 33. The title given to this psalm is The Steadfast Love of the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre, make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. 
For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he is, sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen. And may God bless to us the reading of this, this holy word. Now I want us today to consider the verses that we have, verses 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. What a marvellous thing the eye is, because you can be here and in a moment you can be working away on something that is so intricate and you're focused on something that is so minute and that you're really concentrating on it. And then all of a sudden you lift up your eyes and you can focus on something that's miles away. You know, it's, a, it's, 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 it's quite, a, quite a remarkable thing that you can... One minute just be focused down and concentrating on something that's just a foot in front of you and then you lift up your eyes and you can see quite clearly something that's a couple of miles away. It really is it is it's quite, it's quite a remarkable thing. And while it's marvellous the way that our eyes focus and adjust, what we do know is that we can't see anything but that really which is in front of us. Unless we have a mirror, we can't not able to see around round a corner or behind us. We can only see what, what is there in front of us, so to speak, or even just a wee bit to the side. But beyond that, we cannot see what's behind. But of course, God is completely different. And God doesn't just see what's in front of us and what's behind us, but he also has X-ray eyes, so to speak, because he sees right into us. Not just physically, but right into into our heart, into our mind, into our soul, into what we're thinking, and into what is motivating us in life, what we're all about. God sees everything. There's not a, not a thing hidden uh, from us at all. And as we know, as we spoke before about God's eye uh, and God's ear, we know that God does not have eyes and ears like we have. Uh, the scripture uses uh, physical language of God in, in order to convey how God uh, deals with us and how God acts towards us and reacts towards us. So that the hearing and seeing, although he doesn't have ears and eyes, he sees us far better than we can ever see anything. And he hears us far better than anyone can possibly hear. Of course, we know that the Son of God in our nature, Jesus Christ, he took a body to himself, exactly like ourselves, with eyes, with ears, and Jesus has continued in our nature 
to have the eyes and the ears, to have the physicality that he took in to the, the human nature. And as we saw before in Hebrews, it tells us there, no creature is hidden uh, from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. So I saw before there that God is watching over everything, taking note of everything, seeing everything. There's no hiding place in this world. There's no, nothing done in the dark, but God sees it. There is nothing done in secret, but God sees it. And one day, glory be brought out into the open. That's quite a thought, but that's what the Word of God tells us. And we must all give an account. We all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of all that we have done in the body, whether good or bad. The day of no excuses. And of course, as we know, our only hope on that day is sheltering under the blood. When you think about it, the person who is to examine us is Jesus Christ. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what have we done with Jesus Christ? Well, if we have accepted Jesus Christ, who will be our judge? Then he's going to say, come, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. But if you've rejected Jesus, if you turned your back and said, I, wonder, I don't want you, Jesus, it's going to be an awful day standing before the Jesus you have rejected. This is an appointment you and I have to meet. Now, when we're coming to our verse here, we find that God's eye here is spoken of in a specific way with regard uh, to his people. As we said, sometimes God's eyes are on people by way of judgment, but that's not the case here. Because God is looking at his people in love. And there are, there's a special mention given here of two qualifications given uh, of God's people with regard to how God looks in them. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those, the first thing is, on those who fear him. Now, the fear of God is one of the defining uh, marks or evidences of the Christian. This fear is not the kind of fear that uh, is an, an absolute terror where you would take flight where you would run away because you're so afraid. That, the kind of fear that Adam had when God came calling for him after the fall. Because remember, Adam, Adam ran away. He was absolutely afraid of God. Well, that's not this kind of fear. But that's the kind of fear that, that came into this world when, the, when sin entered into the world. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were filled with this fear that wanted to run from God. And that fear is still in operation in people's hearts. That is why people will do everything possible to suppress the knowledge of God because of that fear. They might not realize it. But you see, the moment you own up to God and the moment you own up to what God is saying of himself and what God requires of us, it produces and brings an accountability on our part before God. And the moment that we face up to all that, then it forces us to do something about it. And so it means there's going to have to be a radical change within us. And it means that we have to find out how we are made right with God. And people don't want to go down that road. So the easiest thing that they think is to suppress the knowledge of the truth. And to make out that there is no God. And live their lives as if there is no God. And that's the way so many people do. And they have suppressed the, suppressed the knowledge of God. Underneath. That's what the Bible tells us that people do. But the, what they're doing is they're trying to suppress the actual fear that exists. The fear that came into the heart of man and woman at the fall is still there. And that's part of what produces all the unrest and distress and anxiety and everything that's going on in this world. Rather than face up to it and to deal with it in the God-given way. But that's not the fear that is spoken about here. Because this fear that we have here is a fear that... Yes, this fear is a sense of the power and the awesome power of God. And this realisation that he could destroy you in a moment. Yes, it's there. 
But this fear produces a drawing towards God. This fear is the kind of fear that Moses had going to the mount of God, where there was a sense of awe and almost a sense of trepidation, but also a sense of love and a sense of wanting to get closer and closer. And that's, that's how it is, where we have this, it's like this huge sense of respect and awe, of drawing near to God. We recognise that God is the creator and that we are the created. He is the master and we are the servants. He is the father and we are the children. And so we have this huge respect for God. And as a result of that, then we want to know what God says. Because we, when we have this fear of God within our heart, it inclines us to God's word. That's what we want to do. We want to get to God's word. And we want to read and to hear what God is saying. Because this God that we, we fear is precious to us. We love him. We respect him. We have him in awe. He is at the centre of our lives. It's who we look forward to being with forever. It is part of who we are. It, our lives have changed because a God consciousness has grown within our heart, within our life. He is there is a sense of his presence with us. And so this, this is all part of this fear that is there. And this fear makes us want to walk in his ways. We want to obey him because we love him. See, this, this fear produces love within our heart. And so we want to, that's what love does. Love wants to please. If you love somebody, you want to please that person. And that's what the Christian wants to do. The Christian wants to please God. And in order to please God, we need to know what God is saying to us. And so we, we want, that's why we, we look to what the Word of God is saying and we want to obey what the Word of God says. That's a question I have to ask you today and ask myself, is do you, do you fear the Lord? Is, is that fear part and partial of your life? Because... If you have the fear of God in your heart, you will, you will, you won't want to offend Him. And you and I know that we offend Him when we disobey Him, when we go aside and turn to our own way and do our own thing, and when when we trample His word underfoot. And we know that that's an offence to Him. But when we fear Him, we don't want to be doing that, to to be going down that way. Again, when we fear him, we don't want to be straying off the path that he has set for us. Because God has set out a particular, the Christian walk is there. And he says, walk, this is the way you walk ye in it. And sometimes, as uh, what we find in the Pilgrim's Progress about Christian, that he ended up in Bypath Meadow. He goes on the bypath. And sometimes we do, we go off. And sometimes we, we wander this way and we wander that way, just like sheep. We all, all we like sheep have gone astray. The sheep are so prone to stray. And so when the fear of God is really operational in our heart, we don't want to stray off the path that he has set before us. We want to follow him. We want to walk in the right way. Although there's so many forces and powers within us and without trying to take us off track, when the fear of God is there, there is a, a real desire that we will, that we will follow him in the, in the right way. And we will want to go where he wants us to go. And we will want to do what he wants us to do. So that's the first thing that we see here, is that the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. And the second thing that we see is on those who fear in a steadfast love. Those who are those who hope, I should say, in a steadfast love. That's, that's, that's what we're doing, those who hope in a steadfast love. Sometimes the steadfast love can be, sometimes you'll find it's translated as mercy, but underneath we understand this steadfast love. And this hope that's in the Christian is a firm, fixed persuasion that all that God promises in his word and all that God has promised to be to us is true. And so this uh, hope is fixed in the steadfast love of God, that this love 
That word steadfast is beautiful. It's an, an ever-changing ever love. You and I know that lovers can fall out. Lovers can fall out badly. And you see lovers sometimes walk away from each other, never again to be reconciled. It's sad, but it happens. But this is a love that will, that will never happen. God will never walk away from someone on whom he has set his steadfast love. It is impossible. Because God cannot change. He can't change his mind. He can't change his love. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. Always the same. So this steadfast love is that which gives us this hope. And today, you, you're basing your life, your future, your everything. Your, the hope of your life and future is based upon the steadfast love of God. This mercy that is always there. Imagine if we came to a discovery that we weren't too sure whether God's mercy still existed. Or what if a word came from heaven that his mercy had run out, he had become exhausted. But the wonderful thing is, it cannot. His love can never be exhausted. His mercy can never be exhausted. It's new every morning. Every morning you get up this morning. His mercies are new. Isn't that a wonderful thing? People say, any news today? Well, here's great news. God's mercies are new today. They're new for your experience. And that gives us this great hope that if we cry to him like the public and cry, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, that he went down to his house justified on the back of God having heard and justified him as he cried to him for mercy. You do the same for you and for me because his, 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 because of the steadfast love. And so this is at the very, very hope, the very centre of our lives, giving us this stability and this assurance. And so our hope is fixed in the, in the promises of God because we trust in the God of the promise. You know, a promise really is only as good as the person who gives it. If you know somebody and you say, you know, I can't really believe a word that that person says, and that person promises you something, you'd say to yourself, I'm not going to hold my breath about that because I know I know what he's like, I know what she's like. But that's not, that's the beauty of God's promises. It's because we know who he is, and the more you know him and the more you fear him, the more he will be persuaded in his promises as being absolutely and altogether true. And so in every tear, and every trial, and in every temptation, and in every trauma, and everything that will come into our lives, he will be to you a God who cares because his eye is on you. He's what, you know, supposing your son or daughter or some, some relative, they're young, right? And they're going away. They're going to the city or they're going somewhere. And you have a friend in the city or a friend in this place that they're going to. And you tell them, you know, my son, my daughter, my, is, is going to, to do something. He's going to university. He's going to study. He's going to, going to a college there. He's going to, he's going to go to sea. He's going to work, but he's going to be there. Keep an eye out for him. And you know, the wonderful thing is to hear the... the your friend saying, oh, don't worry, I'll keep an eye out for him. Okay, in that great city, this person, and they might only see him now and again, but just to know that there's somebody there that's going to keep an eye out, just to be there that maybe if, if there's a problem we can get in touch with, that gives you a kind of a peace in your heart. Well, how much more the God of heaven is keeping an eye out for you? And it's more than keeping an eye out for you. Because when you keep an eye out, it means that you're kind of looking out for now and again. Maybe not looking all the time, but the God of heaven isn't just keeping an eye out. His eye is on you all the time for good. For your protection, for your help, for your care, all the time. And his eye has to be, because his presence, we are told, is there all the time. His presence is constantly with us. So this is the wonderful thing. And in a sense we could say that all those who look to the Lord 
all of us today who look to the Lord will find that the Lord is looking on them. That's how it works. They looked to him and lighted were not shamed with their faces. This poor man cried. God heard and saved him from all his distresses. But you know, when we begin to look to the Lord, do you know why we begin to look to the Lord? It's because the Lord has begun to look to us. And when you look to the Lord, count on it, the Lord is already looking on you. Isn't that wonderful? And once the Lord begins to look on you, he looks on you all the time. And he looks on you in love, with a steadfast love. And he delights in the fact that you fear him. He delights in the fact that you have hope in your heart because of him. Because you know that nothing else and nobody else will do and can do for you in this life. Because we're told then, very briefly, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Now the previous verses shows us the things that we that were naturally likely uh, to put our trust in. For instance, verse 16, there it talks about the king is not saved by his great army, a warrior is not delivered by his great strength, the war horses are false hope for salvation. And it's great might that it cannot rescue. You see, these things at the end of the day are false hopes. These things, although they're powerful and mighty, they cannot save you. They cannot deliver you. They cannot, they cannot free you from death. They can't do anything from you in death. There is no one, no system, no power that can deliver the soul from death but the Lord alone. And, you know, I have to ask here, is it, do you put your trust in anybody or in anything other uh, than the Lord? So there, there is no system, there is no force, there is no power in this world that is able to deliver us from the terrible enemy of death. Death entered into this world through sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is through the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is, there is no other way. No, no other, anybody else has come up with the, this uh, remedy saying, I can deliver you from death. I'll deliver your soul from death. Only the Lord Jesus Christ is able to do that. And so this is what we have here. The, the wonderful promise that is given to us, where the eye of the Lord is upon his people all the time. Now, this psalm, although it doesn't tell us, was written by David. It's very Davidic in its style and many, uh, its content. And you could see, I could see David writing this. And David knew more than anybody else all about kings and armies and horses. And David knew the power of the king. David knew the strength of an army. David knew the amazing strength also of the warriors. These were things he was familiar with. He understood them like few other people did. And he knew that armies could win by the, the, the power, the strategy of, of a, a, a king warrior like himself. But David knew that when all was said and done, that supposing you are the, the wisest, most powerful king and then the, the biggest, most awesome army on earth and you have the greatest number of war horses, without the Lord, it meant nothing. David was a prime example of just that with the great giant Philistine, uh, uh, Goliath. Remember how David, this, remember how Goliath taunted Israel and Israel were petrified, they were terrified. The whole army from Saul all the way down were petrified of this giant Goliath. Armed to the teeth. You remember the story. And David with a sling and a few stones. That's all he had. He went out. But he went out with everything. He went out with the strength of God the Lord. And he told Goliath, your strength is in other things. 
I'll tell you where my strength is. I come to you, he said, in the name of the Lord God of heaven and earth, of whom you are defied. And he knocked that giant down just with one shot. That is what the psalm here is talking about. This is what the whole thing is, is highlighting, that these things that we put so much trust in, these things that we depend for our life, for our future on, they're nothing. They don't work. They collapse. They will bring everything into ruin. The only thing is to trust in the living and in the true God. That, that is the only thing we can do. Nothing or nobody else. And so God is looking down upon you and upon me today in love. And just in the same way as a parent is looking at their children, at the same way as a bridegroom is looking at the bride, eyes full of love. And he also says here, and he will deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So we know famines were part of what Israel suffered under the chastising hand of God. It was frequent. And all the people would suffer under it. But God has promised to keep his people alive in it. And God will keep his people alive in the, in the difficult times as well, when there are times of famine spiritually. We live in such a time where the, the atmosphere of the day is so anti-Christian where there is so much opposed to God and there is a, a spiritual apathy about but God will give his people his portion every day. You mark on it. But think about this also. For this last year, we have been locked down. For, there's, over, there's a, it's a year just now since we were last able to get to church. And at one level, we can see that's a real famine where the churches have been closed. And yet, throughout that period of time, God has fed us. He has enabled, he's given us the provision. We have the provision that we're using just now. So that although it's not what we want it to be, he's still giving us our food. Although there is a famine in the churches, in the, in, in the sense that we can't meet together, we're still able to meet in this way and still to get his word. God is faithful to his promises. And this is the God that you and I must rest our all upon, that we must look to, because he alone can deliver our soul in death. And that's the beauty of it. Nobody else can. No prime minister, no governor, no president, no general has ever said, you know, I can deliver your soul from death. No political system, no, no, nobody, even the... <laughs> Those were the greatest technology and the greatest ideas of medicine and science are able to say, I can deliver your soul from death. No, only the Lord can do that. Why look anywhere else? It's madness to look anywhere else. Look to him and to him alone. Because not only is he going to deliver your soul from death, which means that when you die, because you will die, I'll die. But the Lord will deliver our soul. He will take our soul with him to glory. And while our body will remain under the power of death for a time, it's not forever. It might appear that way, but it's not. Because there's a resurrection morning coming. And God will also deliver our body from death to be reunited with our souls. And is there better news in the whole wide world than that? I can't think of it. That is the news, the, the news. That's where the gospel is, good news. I hope today that you will put your whole trust in this God, the God of heaven and earth, so that you will fear him and that you will hope in his steadfast love and that you will account on his eye being upon you for good. Let us pray. Lord of God, we pray to bless us. We pray, Lord, that you will do us good and that you will cleanse us from our every sin. Wash away then our sins in your blood. For Jesus' sake we ask it all. Amen. Let us conclude our service singing from Psalm 31, verses 21 to the end. All praise and thanks be to the Lord, for he has magnified his wondrous love to me within a city fortified. For from thine eyes cut off I am, I in my haste had said, My voice yet heardst thou when to thee with cries my moan I made. Sometimes when we go down really into the depths, 
we say things like the psalmist said, for from thine eyes cut off I am. We're never cut off from the Lord's eye. Sometimes we feel that we are. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, because the Lord doth guard the faithful, and he plenteously proud doers doth reward. Be of good courage, and ye strength, unto your heart shall send. All you whose hope and confidence on the Lord depend. Verses 21 to the end of Psalm 31, uh, to God's praise. Praise and thanks be to mercy and peace of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, thank you very much for joining in our worship today and we pray that the Lord will continue to watch over you and bless you. Uh, please join again for the evening service at half past six and that service will be conducted by the Reverend James McKeever. <laughs>